chapter twenty two part one of supplements to the second book from the world as will and idea volume three by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty two objective view of the intellect part one there are two fundamentally different ways of regarding the intellect which depend upon the difference of the point of view and much as they are opposed to each other in consequence of this must yet be brought into agreement one is the subjective which starting from within and taking the consciousness as the given shows us by what mechanism the world exhibits itself in it and how out of the materials which the senses and the understanding provide it constructs itself in it we must look upon locke as the originator of this method of consideration kant brought it to incomparably higher perfection and our first book also together with its supplements are devoted to it the method of considering the intellect which is opposed to this is the objective which starts from without takes as its object not our own consciousness but the beings given in outward experience conscious of themselves and of the world and now investigates the relation of their intellect to their other qualities how it has become possible how it has become necessary and what it accomplishes for them the standpoint of this method of consideration is the empirical it takes the world and the animal existences present in it as absolutely given and that it starts from them it is accordingly primarily zoological anatomical physiological and only becomes philosophical by connection with that first method of consideration and from the higher point of view thereby attained the only foundations of this which as yet have been given we owe to zootomists and physiologists for the most part french here cabani is specially to be named whose excellent work des rapports du physique ou moral is initiatory of this method of consideration on the path of physiology the famous bichat was his contemporary but his theme was a much more comprehensive one even gall may be named here although his chief aim was missed ignorance and prejudice have raised against this method of consideration the accusation of materialism because adhering simply to experience it does not know the immaterial substance soul the most recent advances in the physiology of the nervous system through sir charles bell Majondi, marshall hall and others have also enriched and corrected the material of this method of consideration a philosophy which like the kantian entirely ignores this point of view for the intellect is one-sided and consequently inadequate it leaves an impassable gulf between our philosophical and our physiological knowledge with which we can never find satisfaction although what i have said in the two preceding chapters concerning the life and the activity of the brain belongs to this method of consideration and in the same way all the discussions to be found under the heading Physiologie, in the essay über den willen in der natur and also a portion of those under the heading vergleichende anatomie are devoted to it the following exposition of its results in general will be by no means superfluous we become most vividly conscious of the glaring contrast between the two methods of considering the intellect opposed to each other above if we carry the matter to the extreme and realize that what the one as reflective thought and vivid perception 
directly assumes and makes its material is for the other nothing more than the physiological function of an internal organ the brain nay that we are justified in asserting that the whole objective world so boundless in space so infinite in time so unsearchable in its perfection is really only a certain movement or affection of the pulpy matter in the skull we then ask in astonishment what is this brain whose function produces such a phenomenon of all phenomena what is the matter which can be refined and potentiated to such a pulp that the stimulation of a few of its particles becomes the conditional supporter of the existence of an objective world the fear of such questions led to the hypothesis of the simple substance of an immaterial soul which merely dwelt in the brain we say boldly this pulp also like every vegetable or animal part is an organic structure like all its poorer relations in the inferior accommodation of the heads of our irrational brethren down to the lowest which scarcely apprehends at all yet that organic pulp is the last product of nature which presupposes all the rest but in itself and outside the idea the brain also like everything else is will for existing for another is being perceived being in itself is willing upon this it depends that on the purely objective path we never attain to the inner nature of things but if we attempt to find their inner nature from without and empirically this inner always becomes an outer again in our hands the pith of the tree as well as its bark the heart of the animal as well as its hide the white and the yolk of an egg as well as its shell on the other hand upon the subjective path the inner is accessible to us at every moment for we find it as the will primarily in ourselves and must by the clue of the analogy with our own nature be able to solve that of others and that we attain to the insight that a being in itself independent of being known that is of exhibiting itself in an intellect is only conceivable as willing if now in the objective comprehension of the intellect we go back as far as we possibly can we shall find that the necessity or the need of knowledge in general arises from the multiplicity and the separate existence of beings thus from individuation for suppose there only existed a single being such a being would have no need of knowledge because nothing would exist which was different from it and whose existence it would therefore have to take up into itself indirectly through knowledge that is image and concept it would itself already be all in all and therefore there would remain nothing for it to know that is nothing foreign that could be apprehended as object in the case of a multiplicity of beings on the other hand every individual finds itself in a condition of isolation from all the rest and hence arises the necessity of knowledge the nervous system by means of which the animal individual primarily becomes conscious of itself is bounded by a skin yet in the brain that has attained to intellect it passes beyond this limit by means of its form of knowledge causality and thus there arises for it perception as a consciousness of other things as an image of beings in space and time which change in accordance with causality in this sense it would be more correct to say only the different is known by the different than as empedocles said only the like is known by the like which was a very indefinite and ambiguous proposition although points of view may certainly also be conceived from which it is true as for instance we may observe in passing that of helvetius when he says so beautifully and happily il n'y a que l'esprit qui sent l'esprit c'est une corde qui ne frémit qu'à l'unisson 
which corresponds with xenophon's sophon enai dei ton epignosomenon ton sophon that is sapientem esse oportet eum qui sapientem agniturus sit and is a great sorrow but now again from the other side we know that multiplicity of similars only becomes possible through time and space thus through the forms of our knowledge space first arises in that the knowing subject sees externally it is the manner in which the subject comprehends something as different from itself but we also saw knowledge in general conditioned by multiplicity and difference thus knowledge and multiplicity or individuation stand and fall together for they reciprocally condition each other hence it must be inferred that beyond the phenomenon and the true being of all things to which time and space and consequently also multiplicity must be foreign there can also be no knowledge buddhism defines this as prashna paramita that is that which is beyond all knowledge j j schmidt on the mahajana and prashna paramita a knowledge of things in themselves in the strictest sense of the word would accordingly be already impossible from the fact that where the thing in itself begins knowledge ceases and all knowledge is essentially concerned only with phenomena for it springs from a limitation by which it is made necessary in order to extend the limits for the objective consideration the brain is the efflorescence of the organism therefore only where the latter has attained its highest perfection and complexity does the brain appear in its greatest development but in the preceding chapter we have recognized the organism as the objectification of the will therefore the brain also as a part of it must belong to this objectification further from the fact that the organism is only the visibility of the will thus in itself is the will i have deduced that every affection of the organism at once and directly affects the will that is is felt as agreeable or painful yet with the heightening of sensibility in the higher development of the nervous system the possibility arises that in the nobler that is the objective organs of sense sight and hearing the exquisitely delicate affections proper to them are perceived without in themselves and directly affecting the will that is without being either painful or agreeable and that therefore they appear in consciousness as indifferent merely perceived sensations but in the brain this heightening of sensibility reaches such a high degree that upon received impressions of sense a reaction even takes place which does not proceed directly from the will but is primarily a spontaneity of the function of understanding which makes the transition from the directly perceived sensation of the senses to its cause and since the brain then at once produces the form of space there thus arises the perception of an external object we may therefore regard the point at which the understanding makes the transition from the mere sensation upon the retina which is still a mere affection of the body and therefore of the will to the cause of that sensation which it projects by means of its form of space as something external and different from its own body as the boundary between the world as will and the world as idea or as the birthplace of the latter in man however the spontaneity of the activity of the brain which in the last instance is certainly conferred by the will goes further than mere perception and immediate comprehension of causal relations it extends to the construction of abstract conceptions out of these perceptions and to operating with these conceptions that is to thinking as that in which his reason consists 
thoughts are therefore furthest removed from the affections of the body which since the body is the objectification of the will may through increased intensity pass at once into pain even in the organs of sense accordingly idea and thought may also be regarded as the efflorescence of the will because they spring from the highest perfection and development of the organism but the organism in itself and apart from the idea is the will of course in my explanation the existence of the body presupposes the world of idea inasmuch as it also as body or real object is only in this world and on the other hand the idea itself just as much presupposes the body for it arises only through the function of an organ of the body that which lies at the foundation of the whole phenomenon that in it which alone has being in itself and is original is exclusively the will for it is the will which through this very process assumes the form of the idea that is enters the secondary existence of an objective world or the sphere of the knowable philosophers before kant with few exceptions approached the explanation of the origin of our knowledge from the wrong side they set out from a so-called soul an existence whose inner nature and peculiar function consisted in thinking and indeed quite specially in abstract thinking with mere conceptions which belonged to it the more completely the further they lay from all perception i beg to refer here to the note at the end of section six of my prize essay on the foundation of morals the soul has in some inconceivable manner entered the body and there it is only disturbed in its pure thinking first by impressions of the senses and perceptions still more by the desires which these excite and finally by the emotions nay passions to which these desires develop while the characteristic and original element of the soul is mere abstract thinking and given up to this it has only universals inborn conceptions and aeternae veritates for its objects and leaves everything perceptible lying far below it hence also arises the contempt with which even now sensibility and the sensuous are referred to by professors of philosophy nay are even made the chief source of immorality while it is just the senses which are the genuine and innocent source of all our knowledge from which all thinking must first borrow its material for in combination with the a priori functions of the intellect they produce the perception one might really suppose that in speaking of sensibility these gentlemen always think only of the pretended sixth sense of the french thus as we have said in the process of knowledge its ultimate product was made that which is first and original in it and accordingly the matter was taken hold of by the wrong end according to my exposition the intellect springs from the organism and thereby from the will and hence could not be without the latter thus without the will it would also find no material to occupy it for everything that is knowable is just the objectification of the will but not only the perception of the external world or the consciousness of other things is conditioned by the brain and its functions but also self-consciousness the will in itself is without consciousness and remains so in the greater part of its phenomena the secondary world of idea must be added in order that it may become conscious of itself just as light only becomes visible through the bodies which reflect it and without them loses itself in darkness without producing any effect because the will with the aim of comprehending its relations to the external world produces a brain in the animal individual the consciousness of its own self arises in it 
by means of the subject of knowledge which comprehends things as existing and the ego as willing the sensibility which reaches its highest degree in the brain but is yet dispersed through its different parts must first of all collect all the rays of its activity concentrate them as it were in a focus which however does not lie without as in the case of the concave mirror but within as in the convex mirror with this point now it first describes the line of time upon which therefore all that it presents to itself as idea must exhibit itself and which is the first and most essential form of all knowledge or the form of inner sense this focus of the whole activity of the brain is what kant calls the synthetic unity of apperception only by means of this does the will become conscious of itself because this focus of the activity of the brain or that which knows apprehends itself as identical with its own basis from which it springs that which wills and thus the ego arises yet this focus of the brain activity remains primarily a mere subject of knowledge and as such capable of being the cold and impartial spectator the mere guide and counsellor of the will and also of comprehending the external world in a purely objective manner without reference to the will and its weal or woe but whenever it turns within it recognises the will as the basis of its own phenomenon and therefore combines with it in the consciousness of an ego that focus of the activity of the brain or the subject of knowledge is indeed as an indivisible point simple but yet is not on this account a substance soul but a mere condition or state that of which it is itself a condition or state can only be known by it indirectly as it were through reflection but the ceasing of this state must not be regarded as the annihilation of that of which it is a state this knowing and conscious ego is related to the will which is the basis of its phenomenal appearance as the picture in the focus of a concave mirror is related to the mirror itself and has like that picture only a conditioned nay really a merely apparent reality far from being the absolutely first as for example fichte teaches it is at bottom tertiary for it presupposes the organism and the organism presupposes the will i admit that all that is said here is really only an image and a figure and in part also hypothetical but we stand at a point to which thought can scarcely reach not to speak of proof i therefore request the reader to compare with this what i have adduced at length on this subject in chapter twenty end of chapter twenty two part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine